Look, I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm going to share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm going to tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. You guys know how important I feel vibe is to your restaurant or your bar. It's everything. And just to give you an example, have you ever noticed how the energy of of your restaurant or your bar totally changes when there's something on your TV that's not engaging like sports? I have a solution for you. Atmosphere TV is the first and only TV product of their kind built specifically for use in your restaurant. You may recognize their flagship channel, Chive TV, in addition to 40-plus other amazing high-definition content channels, including Red Bull TV, X Games TV, Beach Bum TV, America's Funniest Home Videos, and much, much more. Built and proven to keep your guests sitting, eating, drinking, and of course, spending more money. The best part is Atmosphere remains 100% free for listeners of this podcast. Just use the code KYLE at checkout to have your setup fee waived and receive your device today. That's atmosphere.tv and use the code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, to receive your free device today. All right, Andrew, thank you for joining me today on the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Uh, how you doing? Doing well. Doing well. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Beautiful day of the year. So uh, why not spend it inside on the computer? <laughs> exactly. I know. I was. I uh, I have uh, not been out too much today, and I went outside before. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? It's like 80 degrees. Now, so I, yeah. I had my winter jacket on the other day. This is, New York is nuts. It's completely insane. Yeah, we're going through some some waves. So hopefully spring is here to stay for sure. Oh, no, for sure. Um, so Ghost Truck Kitchen. Tell me a little bit about that, what you guys are all about. Yeah, so uh, fortunate enough to just have uh, had our two-year anniversary uh, this past April 20th, uh, which was wonderful. Um, you know, pretty simply put, uh, we're a hybrid, man. We're not a pure ghost kitchen. Um, you know, I like to say that we have brick and mortar bones and ghost kitchen blood. Uh, what we do is we offer 12 different virtual food trucks, all optimized for takeout. They all come right out of one kitchen. Uh, we create everything in-house. Um, and we're part of a neighborhood, man. You know, we have a brick and mortar store. We have a lot of walk-in customers, takeout business. Um, but we are, you know, into that virtual menu, digital menu, whatever you want to call it, that allows us to uh, to do a lot of different concepts. So you have how many concepts do you run out of the shop? Right now we're running 12. Yeah. So we do. Uh, uh, okay. We do so what, is, what does that take to, to do? Um, it's a lot of menu planning, you know, so, uh, you know, about a year of menu planning before we opened, um, to be perfectly frank, uh, it's hard to do that many different items off of a, a shared line. So a lot of menu planning, yeah. learning from mistakes, mitigating food waste, turning potential food waste into new concepts. Um, but pretty simply put, you know, like I think about it like a, a New Jersey diner, right? Instead of having sandwiches, salads, burgers, pancakes, you know, our menu is just broken down into these little digital food truck concepts that, you know, we do like smoked wings and meat plus three. We also do plant based veggie burgers over here and gourmet sandwiches and, you know, an all garlic concept, all baked goods concept. So, you know, we try to bring a good variety and be a one stop shop for everybody uh, to make your household happy and not spend 45 minutes arguing about where your next meal is going to come from. 
I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I think, from, I, uh, yeah, I, I think from a standpoint of like guys in the kitchen, like how, how do they adapt to that kind of stuff? Do they like that? Or they, cause there's always those kind of cooks that are like, I make these five dishes, like the traditional thing, but then right. in terms of sling and bring it guys, like just give me the ingredients. I can make it. Is it, are those the guys and the guys you're looking for? We, we definitely oh, no. have, a, a, yeah, a more, um, detailed menu of sure than most and we need some beasts in the kitchen to do what we're doing pretty simply you know you're not you're not making the same four dishes over and over again um but i will say the things that, that our guys in the kitchen do love is not having to deal with servers and bartenders so that has <laughs> that's been. a great point that's a great point yeah. you that back and forth like yelling i put the ticket in exactly you know, like, so in. Exactly. There's no, there's no miss rings. There's no, oh, I forgot to add this. Can you send this one before? Um, so from that standpoint, right, all they have to do is make great food. You know, we take care of everything else. Um, so I think from that point, people that are really passionate about food and passionate about cooking, it really is like a great environment to, uh, to be in. Yeah. And I'm, I like, I'm looking at your menu now. It is, I mean, you guys got to check this out. This is not like, I know like you think food truck, you think whatever, but certain quality food. I mean, that's definitely changed over the years, but I mean, you've got Thai curry wings, herb butter, forage mushrooms, dumplings, uh, mac and cheese sandwiches. I mean, you're really cranking out of this place. How big is the, is the space? Not very big. So, uh, our whole space is, is about 850 square feet. Um, oh yeah. Talking about efficiency. You're a master of efficiency. Yes. Again, don't let me like year one and like the first few months, there was, there was tons of waste. There was tons of problems. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't know what was going to sell really and what wasn't. Of course, you think like everything's going to be a bestseller and you're preparing. And then like some of the stuff you think is going to be great isn't even on the menu three months later. Uh, so, you know, constantly iterating. Um, but yeah, it's, it's challenging. And, and the funny thing is my cooks push me to keep adding more stuff like we're trying to create new stations. Like we've made such good use of our space to, you know, to just try to come up with new things, you know? So now we're getting into some super seasonal stuff. Now that New Jersey produce has started. So that's always a real fun time also in the kitchen. Now, how did you, how did you get, when did you guys open? Let's start with that. When did you guys uh, open? Yeah, we opened a little over two years ago. We did our soft opening like the last weekend of March in 2019. Okay. So you kind of, that was pretty well-timed considering everything that's going on, right? Yeah, we were operating for a year right as COVID hit. So I can say that it was detrimental to our business because we lost all of our corporate catering and our walk-in business, oh, right. but we didn't have to adjust one thing as far as like we had online ordering, we had separate windows for delivery drivers versus customers. We had, you know, all the loyalty programs. We knew how to package our food, like all these things that all these restaurant tours had to figure out on the fly. We had been doing and perfecting for the past year plus. So right. from that standpoint, you know, it was very easy for us to handle more volume and, and continue to do what we did. So what made you think of this concept? You know, that seems like, wow, this is great for the, for now, but what made you think of it then? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm like a long time restaurant guy. That's, you know, what I've known is always being in hospitality. Um, I had just moved back to the New York area from California. I was in Southern California, uh, had a oh. hospitality consultant count, uh, you know, company there. I know I miss it too. <laughs> um, shit. Yeah, uh, I just see pictures of the tacos and I'm like, Oh Jesus. Yeah, for that. Forget about the weather even. Those are real farmers markets for sure. Yeah. Um, so coming back here, I was actually working for some, some private equity guys that were looking to invest in fast casual restaurants. 
So I was going around to all these like big, fast, casual chains in the city and, and, you know, like doing operational analysis. And I kept seeing these trends of more empty real estate in the front and more takeout bags coming out. And it just seemed like a horrific process. Like everybody was kind of scrambling and and didn't know what they were doing. So I started to think like, all right, off-premise is definitely going to keep growing. I had already heard of ghost kitchens, even at that time, there was Green Summit Group who was like the OG. Dave Mm -hmm. Chang did his thing and like was a public not success. So that was like an interesting thing to learn from. Yeah, what was that called? Maple? Maple. He had Maple. He had Ando was the other one too. Um, So I kind of started looking at those businesses. Why did they fail? What could be coming? And just at night, like in my free time, I just started messing around with like, what could like a really cool future takeout, like next generation thing look like? And that's how it started. It was just like fun for me to put this together. And then it started coming more and more to real life. And then I started to look for a location a few blocks away from my live, from where I live. I connected with this dude that was looking to move to a bigger store. The location was perfect. The timing, I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Bootstrapped, like did my thing. No money, didn't know what to expect. I just thought that it would be a good proof of concept for what was going to be coming in the next 10 years. Little did I know 10 years worth of stuff <laughs> like was going to happen month. every year. Yeah. And you're, you guys are in Jersey City, right? Yeah, we're in Jersey City, a few blocks away from the uh, Grove Street Pass Station. Grove. Okay, so actually my first chef gig was Marco and Pepe on the corner oh, yeah. of Grover and Mercer. We're like five five blocks away from there. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so sad that it's closed. It turned into something else, though, right? It's, 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 it's a restaurant now? Yeah, it's – um. I think that's Luna Cafe right now, right, okay. right now, which is next to the most popular restaurant in Jersey City, which is uh, Raza Pizza from uh, – you know, from Dan Ricker, who was, you know, they got oh. their big New York Times right up. So that yeah. place is is always jamming. I'm pretty sure any restaurant next door to him is just going to win on overflow alone. I'm yeah, waiting in line just. Oh my god! Beer. Yeah, get a beer. Yeah. So is he? So that's on the right or on the left? As you look at the Marco Pepe. If you're looking at it, Raza's on the left. Is on the corner of like, Montgomery. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that was like a shawarma place when we were there. Could be. You know, so much has changed in downtown oh, Jersey. Yeah. It's like insane. It's like insane. definitely a six borough. So you you had started this, but then like why? I mean, I know why my brain would go towards you know twelve different menus. Yeah. Why? What? What is that? Your brain the same way? You're like, let's just do everything. Yeah, like it was just fun to be honest. At, in the beginning, like it was a year. You know, I spent a year at night just like <laughs> up with a virtual brand. Like, what would a menu look like? Um, and then I happened to be also consulting for these other guys out of Brazil that were doing like a ghost kitchen concept with all these different foods. So I got insights into why that wasn't working for him. So I knew that I wasn't going to be successful if I did burgers, pizza, Mexican sushi. Yeah. You can't do that. There's just no inefficiency. There's no, you know, efficiency oh, together with the food. Yeah. Um, and the size. So I just started putting this stuff together. And for me, it was all about like variety and my wife's a vegetarian. My sister's a vegetarian. And all the time, if we're looking to order, it's like one of us is happy. You know, like we can go to a meat spot and you can get a bad salad or we can get like vegetarian food and I can get something that I'm going to hate. Um, so yeah. that was part of it, too. You know, like making a place for, for everybody. That's yeah. The kid who uh, I work with um, to do some of my content videos for real estate, he's a vegan. So he's always like, you know, there's got to be a place He's like, because, you know, I can get my boys to go. He's 23 years old. He's right. like, we can go out to eat. He's like, but what he likes about some of these vegan places that are coming up is he actually likes the fact that he can get a vegan burger or, you know, chicken wings and stuff like that, because he's like, I can, st- I can push that on them. 
if I take them to some vegan restaurant, they got lentils and right. some sort of vegetable stuffed eggplant, something like that. We're not going there. And he has to get like pasta and French fries. So yeah, no, that's a great, great call. I agree. And we definitely are, are vegan friendly. And that's a part of the menu that, you know, we love to play with because it's so accessible, you know, like anybody could have it, anybody could try it and it's fun to play with. It's big on the condiments. You need good condiments with that. With good that good condiments, good flavoring, fresh herbs. You know, that's the thing. You know, we make everything from scratch. So very different from most takeout joints that are getting like, you know, the convenience level goods and like dropping it in a fryer and like we yep. don't deep fry anything because fried stuff doesn't stay crispy, you know, and yep. travel. So we put a lot of thoughtfulness into what kind of foods we're going to deliver also um, and just want it to be a cleaner eating experience and not necessarily like, Oh, I wish I didn't get that takeout last night experience. Yeah. I, it's like, that's the one thing they have to figure out is how to get fries to be delivered crispy. That's there, there, there's close. There's a, there's a dude, there's an aer aerodynamics engineer that has a company that I'm, I'm not going to advertise and cause he doesn't, he doesn't want me to probably, but uh, <laughs> they, they do exist and they just haven't gotten the price down far enough to where it makes sense. But it's a pretty good idea. It, like is a sticky thing that absorbs steam that you can put on the top of any package. Wow. I didn't, didn't know you needed that. I'd be like a aerospace engineer. That's one thing to tackle that. Right. That's, cool. that's yeah, like, well, um, it's not going to be a restaurant guy coming up with that. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's the, uh, that's like, do you know, uh, figure eight consulting, Scott Landers and those guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's like an MIT engineer and he, I'm, I'm like, dude, and you, you could be like building bridges for the army or something. And you're, you're, you're figuring out food delivery, which is crazy. I mean, he's doing a, a great job, but, um, that's actually been an awesome part of this for me is like 99% of the operators in the world, and there's some really smart ones, like started thinking about takeout and delivery. So like, I felt like I was alone in this space because no one really cared about it. It was an afterthought. And now like everybody cares about it. And like, it's a big deal to everybody. So like bringing attention to, oh, to yeah. premise stuff has been, has been awesome and getting really smart people involved on solving problems. Well, that's a good segue into that group that we, we've been a part of. Um, you probably more so than I. How, how, well, let's talk about this. How do you guys currently handle delivery? So we, we use a hybrid model. And if you, you spend any time talking to me, I say the word hybrid, like way too often, like we're a hybrid goes kitchen. We have a hybrid model. We have a hybrid. Cause it's true. You know, like we're, we're, that's the way we operate. So we utilize some third party delivery. And then we also utilize our own white label um, last mile fulfillment partner mm -hmm. who does our own stuff as well as some third party stuff. Right. So, um, you know, hybrid. Yeah. So now, I mean, I know the answer to this, but I know you've had some pretty intense feelings about these, these third party providers. Can you just get into a little bit why it's so important? Because I feel like I preach it and people are like, yeah, yeah. like, like maybe I'm trying to sell them something, but tell me from your perspective, why this is so important. Well, I think you want to stay in business. And if you want to stay, if you want to stay in business, you can't give your customers away and then get them back at a discount. You right. know, um, I think that's like the purveying thing. Um, it was it was one thing when it was just high commissions. Mm -hmm. um, but now there's another impending doom, which is these guys actually creating their own restaurants and their own restaurant partnerships and favoring those on top of your listings. Um, so like two huge dangers. One is giving away all your customers and customer data and, you know, paying essentially a a commission every single time someone orders. And and the second one is like, overall, you might not be on that search algorithm two years from now because they have all these national partnerships and partnerships with their own in-house virtual brands. 
and they don't care about you. They they yeah. got what they needed from you. Um, so I employ implore all restaurants to, you know, if you don't have your own direct ordering system, get one now. Like, don't wait another day. Get one now. Stop putting Uber Eats and DoorDash on your Instagram po- profile. Oh, Stop putting those stickers on your front door that says Uber Eats pick up here and like direct all of your customers to you. Whatever medium you're comfortable with doing, but like take control of your customers. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I was talking to somebody recently and it's funny the vibe I get now. Like you talk to somebody and they're like, you know, we're going to do the Grubhub Uber Eats thing. And I just get like a, do I, is this, do, do I need to get into this conversation now? Because I can get pretty fired up and I think they don't understand, right? It's a traditional sales funnel model. When we order something online or even if we put something in our shopping cart online, that retailer is going to be like, hey, since I have all your information, I'm going to let you know that you left this sweater in your shopping cart. Do you right. sure you want to buy it? Do you think they would ever, ever give that little tidbit away? Never. So why would we give it away? And I know it's really just had a light on it during the pandemic here. But now that it is, now that you have the information and you're still willingly signing up with these people is asinine to me. It's com- it's too much. They think it's too much work is what they're going to say. It's too much work. What, what I'll say is there is a world in which you could utilize the third parties to your advantage. And there is a strategy behind it in which it could make sense. Right. You need to be set up for that strategy in order to make sense, right? And that all we talk about like converting guests and like tracking that and how to convert, totally. But if you're doing it just because like, oh, they bring us business and you have no idea, like what I, another phrase that I use, it, it's top line revenue that never sees the bottom line. Like yeah. initial sales might look great, but- it You're doesn't mean anything at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. so that's what we, so with, with, so Scott and I, Scott helped us at my restaurant um, over the summer. I mean, in the middle of the pandemic, we switched to native only delivery, but mm-hmm. we were, we were, we were fortunate that, that it worked out because their process is kind of like it drags you along. It's like a 180 switch. But what we did was we, we took some of our best sellers and put them only available on our menu. Exactly. And then, like we, then we said, oh, Mar- now we can do alcohol delivery. You can only get margaritas on our delivery. Exactly. That was it. And then we just so slowly start weaning people off. And then we stuck flyers in everybody's bag who was going out the door to DoorDash and Grubhub and everybody else. Like, hey, real quick, five bucks off your next order if you just order from us. And this about month, I would say six weeks later, we were kind of pretty much transitioned off. Right. I, I don't think it's a complicated strategy. Right. It just takes a little bit of effort. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, what's the secret to conversion? I'm just like trying, like trying to convert the customers and letting them know that you would prefer if they ordered a different way. Yeah. Just let them know that it matters to you. And if they're like your actual customers and they order from you frequently, like they'll care. Not everyone, but enough that'll make an impact. Yeah. And it's, it's really like, you know, going down to that, that, that content piece for like marketing for your restaurant is a video or however you want to put it out there. Like, Hey, just order from us. Hey, click this link to order from us and customers. They'll, they'll, they'll get used to it after a while. But, um, in regards to, oh, I think we got a question or a comment. Let's see. Vincent from Colgate Group. Great to hear that you get the business part of the restaurant food business. Customer acquisition is a cost that most business owners who don't survive just don't get. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 customer acquisition we always thought of as in the traditional restaurant is, oh, hey, you know, Bob and Mary came in with the kids. Hey, guys, we see you. Great. Good to see you. Here's what you want. You get Pinot Grigio. You get, you know. Yep. IPA, kids get the fries or whatever. But now what do you do? Right? right. Like if you don't understand that, then they're just kind of like 
I yeah. think the, the first thing that I, I, and I didn't even have this realization before we opened, I think I didn't even have this realization until after the pandemic started, but I had like a startling realization that I was no longer in the restaurant business and I'm now in e-commerce. And yeah. once I made that revelation to myself, I was like, oh, it's an entirely different approach on how you're getting your customers, how much they're, how much they're spending, how many times they spend, like it's an e-commerce situation. So restaurant owners, myself included, like aren't used to thinking that way, right? We're thinking about like reservations and what these guests like to drink and like, how do we get like this group of customers to bring their next event to like our space? We're not thinking about it like e-commerce and, and things like that. So yeah, I mean, it's important. It's a, it's a hard to know number, but the more you can track it, I mean, you know how much to spend, right? Like, is it oh, worth yeah. it to spend on which channels? And it's important. There's so much about that that is that's interesting and, and how it's kind of developed over time. And you hear like some pushback from chefs who are like, well, I didn't get into this business to put this locally line caught halibut on uh, in a box and send it out. I want to plate it and do all that stuff. Then no one's saying you have to do. You can go, you can drive that that train all you want, dude. But this is, I think it's a new avenue, a new revenue stream. And I, I just think if you ignore it and you're thinking that it's going to go away, it's going to be a problem for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. And, you know, as we know, not one size fits all right for everybody. Some restaurants don't need to do it at all because they don't have the kitchen capacity. And it's not mm -hmm. worth it to mess with their in-house guests. Like some places have, you know, a really high margin, um, you know, pizzerias or sushi where like, all right, it makes sense to, to it's different for everybody, but it is a piece of business that can be had. And if you do it properly, it can be profitable. Yeah. That being said, it's still hard, right? Like delivering food isn't easy. Oh. Being, a, being a food delivery business isn't easy. It's different, right? You're not worried about like training your servers and upselling, but mm -hmm. like there's a lot of concerns around logistics. Like how oh, do we yeah. get food hot? How does it travel? What happens when this is late? What happens when we forget an item? Like all these things that, that play into true hospitality. Yeah, I mean, you can sit back and complain about any business about how difficult it is. I think that what what's what's going to happen with with that is these chefs are just going to start making you know ego man chefs. That's what kills all these chefs in their business. But like, they're going to just start making spinoffs. I think we're already starting to see it. Like these chefs are going to say, "I'm going to make a burger ghost kitchen or or what have you." But I really think that a like a one off just ghost kitchen. I'm not such a fan of it. But what I think is interesting is that hybrid model that you're saying where you can come into the store you can come in and pick it up right we're not gonna eat it here right yeah i mean the, the, the hospitality piece the the cloud kitchens that open and this was like crazy for me you know being bootstrapped and like not having tens of millions of dollars worth of funding to hear some of the businesses and models that were getting like crazy amounts of funding and knowing that it's not going to be profitable for them like kitchen united cool idea, like never going to be profitable. They yeah. realize that they need to start making like take out an option because again, why would you cut off your most profitable ordering channel, which is having customers come get their own food or like yeah. be in the vicinity to pick up their food. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, omni-channel, right? Like all these buzzwords, they're buzzwords for a reason. So like you want to be as omni-channel as possible and like offer as much as you can possibly offer in as many ways as you can do it efficiently. And that's the thing. So, I mean, other than like catering and events and different day parts, it's really been one revenue stream for restaurants coming in the door, buy stuff, eat it here or take it with you. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's kind of interesting how we needed to see this uh, via, you know, a global pandemic. So 
That's wild. So where do you guys go from here? Like what, what do you have plans to open other locations or add another? We, we do have a lease signed for a second location um, close by uh, in, in a neighboring town, which I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I can say the town. So we're going to come to Hoboken, which is the first nice. thing we told the public this. Um, so yeah. we're hoping to get that open this fall. Uh, similar footprint to our, our current store, you know, small, um, do what we do and, and do it well. And, and that's the way we want to grow. You know, we're trying to grow. Uh, I don't believe you can scale hospitality businesses. There's a lot of people that think that you can throw $20 million at a food tech company and they're going to pop up 40 locations and be successful. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, restaurants don't work that way. So, um, you know, try to grow slow and steady. Go to two, two to four, maybe four to 10, uh, maybe 10 to 10 to 40 and 40 to a thousand. But, you know, we got to take those steps and, and get a good base under us. And we still there's moves to be made, man. There's still a lot of changes happening. We're not set in stone of exactly what everything is going to look like yet. So we want to be nimble and small and be able to adapt, uh, you know, while this new tech and, and new behavior is, is really being you know finalized. Now, that's that's a buzzword. Nimble. I think that's what had, that's where so many people got caught up and they're like, no, we do this. So if we can't do this, we need landlord. We need, we're not paying you and where, you know, you, we're not paying staff. We're not doing any of that stuff, but I'm like, man, you didn't even try. Like this is, you got to try something, adapt to the environment. I think that's the only frustration I have with the, with the restaurant relief fund, I will say, is it rewards people that literally didn't try at all and punishes those that busted their ass to maybe lose a little bit less or even break even. And now they're not eligible for anything. That's the only part of the thing. And I get, you can't make everybody happy, but that's, it's gotta be frustrating for a lot of operators that did kill themselves and try to do everything to keep their business afloat. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it turns out that it's, just you need green pieces of paper. You need you need these pieces of paper to pay your bills. You're gonna sit there and be like, I I can't do it. I can't right. do that. My salmon has to go out on this plate. That's just crazy. I mean, I knew some this guy up here, Matt Storch. He was on the podcast not too long ago, and he's turned his you know basically like a fine casual dining restaurant into a grocery store. You know, he was he would have the liquor company show up one with the long with Dairyland. They would put the boxes together on site. You say, hey, Andrew, here's your stuff, 300 bucks. Okay, thanks, bye. So you had gloves, you had Pinot Noir, you had like pork butt, you had like everything in this box, but he had good prices, he had access yeah. to the stuff, and that's what we needed at that time. Right, and I'm sure he kept some people working too, you know? Oh, yeah. like For sure. For and that sure. Was, that's what it was all about, you know? So that was, um, you know, as terrible as the pandemic was, there's definitely a lot of silver linings to be, to be found. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think restaurants and people realizing that restaurants are hearts of the community and sometimes overlooked and yeah. um, feeling appreciated. You know, there was definitely a lot less negative Yelp attention for a few months. That's obviously gone away. Right? But yeah. For a few months, it was like really quiet out there. It was nice. It was it was crazy, though. That people were like, you know, it was like a few months. People were like, this place is, you know, whatever. Like, are you kidding? Right. Like the fact that it's even open, you guys should be like, right. We just risked our life to, to make you a, a Buffalo chicken sandwich. Okay. Like yeah, with sauce on the side. Right. right, right. <laughs> I asked for extra blue cheese crumbles. Yeah. This, this place, I'm never coming back. Um, so let's go back to Hoboken for a second. So how did you, I'm assuming, well, you tell me, is it on main street or Washington street? Or are you guys nah, it's a little, a little off the beaten path? Kind of yeah. like my, kind of like my current one, you know, for us, we don't need the most prime location. Yeah. And I also think that sometimes prime locations lead to um, 
in our in our sense like a false sense of what we're supposed to be so my belief is the more prime we were people would be like this is fast casual the food's got to come out quickly and the truth be told is we're from scratch made to order restaurants so if you want to come in and order off the kiosk you can but it's going to take 15 to 20 minutes like we don't have pre-cooked stuff sitting on a steam table like ready to scoop and serve um so that behooves us to be a little further away where we can explain what we're doing and there's not like a heavy walk-in pressure of like you know, on time stuff. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it was like site searching um, by myself. I had spent some time with a few different um, real estate agencies in the past. I just didn't feel like they understood what I was looking for. And maybe it was because I didn't fully understand what I was looking for. Yeah. You got to see it sometimes. Yeah. 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 And um, a lot of times too, like sometimes bigger companies have relationships with landlords and developers and, and my brand isn't exactly the right fit for some of the like mini mall type shopping plaza centers that just isn't a good fit for us. Um, you don't so need to pay those rents. Yeah. Not even just the rents, just again, like the expectation of what the food is going to be, what the price points are going to be um, coming from a, from a new brand they never heard of. So, um, you know, we found a spot that, that again, fits what we do. Um, we hope the build out is going to be fairly, uh, fairly straightforward. Um, yeah. And just again, good, good size and a square size, you know, for us, we need the kitchen, line to be like close to where the pickup's going to be. And a right. lot of restaurants are long and narrow where the kitchen's in yeah. the back and that doesn't really work for us. You know, the, the, that setup doesn't really work for us. So again, it's, you know, we're pretty specific in what we need, but now we know, you know, what, what works for us. Are you, so was it an existing restaurant space or are you guys converting it? It wasn't, it was an existing, it was an existing, well, it wasn't even an existing food space. It was an existing hospitality space that never had food um, right. that now we're converting. Um, yeah. But we, you know, again, think found it at the right time. Uh, the landlord was was very willing to work with us, um, you know, given that we had an established business and, and providing some support to, you know, to help with our build out. And, um, you know, we're excited to be there and we're trying to find sites where we can be there for like the next 20 or 30 years. You know, that's yeah. like the kind of loyalty business. You know, we're looking to be a staple of people's neighborhoods and lives because that's how I think takeout food is, man. It's it's regulars. People's are creatures of habit. Um, and that's how we want to build the business. Yeah, I mean, that's also, I mean, Hoboken is highly residential, right? And you have business there, so that you don't have really have an office impact. Did you guys do a lot of office? We, so we, we, spent, we spent the year, uh, even in our business model, we weren't open for on-demand lunch. We only were open, essentially, to do corporate catering. So we did a lot of on-site, like, vending in, like, corporate buildings and lobbies, and then drop-offs, too. So it was a pretty hard hit for us to lose the catering, especially because again, we had just hit one year. We were just starting to ramp up with more and more businesses. And now it's like, Oh, we got to start that process all over again, essentially. And now maybe a different model that is a little bit more challenging to execute because it's a lot easier to drop off 10 or 15 trays than it is to pack 150 individual packages. You know, I mean, in regards to the issue that I've heard, with um like the ghost kitchen model and i know you're more like traditional restaurant but like is they want to be off the beaten path a little bit but then off the beaten path restaurants traditionally didn't want to be off the beaten path it was really bad so then it's like finding these spaces that are being converted did you run it and then there's zoning and accessibility mm-hmm. and pull up parking how difficult was it to navigate that part of the of the transaction um, very, because at the time, again, there wasn't really anyone doing it. So there wasn't much to go off of. I would say my initial plan was actually to get a space 
further out that was cheaper. And then essentially what I started doing was like doing the math and being like, all right, if I'm going to be this much closer, how many more takeout customers would it take for me to get a day to make this extra rent worthwhile? Right. And when I started thinking about that way, the better location made sense. Um, and I think even more so now, you know, ghost kitchens and cloud kitchens became necessary because kitchen real estate became so prohibitively expensive. Now there's a lot more kitchen space available than there was before. Uh, it's a little bit different, but I don't know. There, there's value. There's marketing value in paying for a better site, um, or you can dump a ton of money into third-party marketing. Which yeah. <laughs> is how we feel about that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean that. I mean that's a good point. I mean with all the with the kitchen space that's available. I mean the the rents were prohibitive. I mean I did something on I think it was on TikTok or on Instagram that was like guess the rent of this New York City restaurant space, and it was like twenty eight hundred square feet and. Um, it was like when you did the triple nets and everything it was over $50,000 a month. Like right. what? Yeah, that is, that's crazy. It's crazy to me that ground floor retail restaurant space in major cities and then any city, Jersey city is infinitely more than the office space that is leased to the major corporations on a higher level. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Especially when it's preached like, well, we need to know your sales because we need to know if you can afford this rent. Right. <laughs> like, what? You think I'm going to do $7 million here in this corner in the West Village? Correct. Like, it's, it's a, yeah, it's really crazy. And, I, and I, I know we've touched on it before, I think maybe only in LinkedIn, but this is a message for all of our restaurant friends out there. Raise your prices. Raise your prices. Yeah. Um, that's what it is, man. You know, like restaurants stayed pretty tame for the last 10 years in prices. Meanwhile, rents the cost of construction, the cost of utilities, the cost of packaging, the cost of labor, the cost of insurance, every expense that we have yeah. has gone up significantly and menu costs haven't risen, you know, risen alongside it. So um, it's not always the prettiest, but if you want to survive and if your product's good enough, you know what, like take that dollar bump, bump up a dollar wow. 50, you know, like you have to make those moves or, or you're fighting for the bottom. And that's the thing. People don't understand that there are places, you know, that you know, pizza's twelve ninety nine because it's always been twelve ninety nine. How the fuck do you pull that off? How do you don't pull it off? You're, you're losing. Like if you I pull off, you own the building for thirty years. You yeah. know, you've been there. Yeah, and there's that that kind of thinking is yeah. It, and when we opened up our second location of Pulpitina in Larchmont, it was like the, the um, I remember the um, accountant being like, "You need to raise your prices," and we were like, oh, "Like we like we can't we can't do, can do this with other customers." He's like, "Or don't make more money." Or right. cut people in the kitchen, or like I don't know. He's like, you gotta raise your prices, and I think that that's something. It's always like a last resort. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's an old school mentality, but yeah, you gotta really, you gotta, you gotta make money. That's you gotta take, yeah, you gotta take a hard look at everything and like, what is the point? It's not easy being a restaurant operator, right? So like, what's the point of going through all of this to possibly break even? You know, no. like if you're gonna do it and be successful and you care about it and you're putting out good stuff, then that has value. You know, like. Yeah. We have people that once in a while say like, oh, your stuff's too expensive or like the portion wasn't big enough. I said, listen, there's plenty of places you can get a lot more food for less money. Like I encourage you to do that. What we do is focus on like quality of what we're right. doing and like, you know, we use sustainable packaging and we want to bring you the best ingredients. That's how we approach it. Um, and people look at liquor and food differently, right? The same dude that has a problem with my $13 sandwich is also buying a $15 cocktail four times a week and doesn't think yes. twice. 
Yeah. Like they're buying a thirty dollar uh, tequila in the glass that costs sixty dollars for the bottle. Yeah, I mean that that. I mean to me, it's always like you don't have to come here. Right. Like I'm very upfront with my pricings on my websites on my social media. That here's a paper printout of it. Right. And you read things about my food. Presumably that's why you're here. You heard from somebody. Right. If you choose value, like your if your thing is I want larger portions for less money. Right. And I'm not your place. And right. I'm okay. That's a decision you, yeah. I that stuff always drives me crazy. Like uh, you should be more rice. Uh okay, then it's another dollar. What? What you know, like I want gonna, something and you're gonna charge me. Wait, wait, what do you mean? I want extra. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a hard thing to explain. Like, can I get extra sauces? I'm like, Yeah, it's gonna be this. You're like, why? Well, like just our sustainable plastic container costs us like 15 cents. So, like, I'm not yeah. gonna make any money charging this 50 cents for a sauce, but like yeah. I don't want to lose money because you get an extra sauce. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually was gonna say that to you before. I have so much respect for putting the sauces on the side as a pre- with a price on it, because yeah. dude, like that's can I get five barbecue sauces? Yeah, for five dollars. Right. You can go to Banana Republic and be like, "I'm gonna have these jeans." You know what? I'm gonna throw this sweater in here, but don't charge me. I, I, you know, I always use that example. For some reason, when it comes to restaurants, people just think like free. You see it all the time with bars. <laughs> like, you never would walk into like a retail shop or a doctor's office and be like, "Oh, yo, now like I kind of know that guy." So like, this cleaning on the house, you know, like. Yeah, it's just for for food and beverage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, My wife and friends are coming in. Give them a few skirts on the house so yeah. they can, they can <laughs> have a good time. I know it doesn't work that way. You know, and I'm all for hospitality. I'm definitely from the place of like our the Polpatina, and even at the Taqueria, we were like, oh, you, you can't decide between the two. Let me bring the other one for you. That's 100%. a different story. That's a different story. But yeah, that thing of like, this isn't enough food for me. Well, I you know. Right. Sorry, I like get another one. I'm not paying. Okay, well then you can, you, you don't have to eat here, dude. Right. Um, so Hoboken is slated to open. Jersey City is there. What does uh? What do you think the summer is going to look like? You think we're we're in for another little roaring twenties, or too soon to say? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what business you're in, right? Like, if I'm if I'm a bar owner or a restaurant owner, and I'm on the Jersey Shore right now, like I'm licking my lips, and I'm probably like opening right now for the rest of the summer, like, yeah, um, like today for lunch. Yeah, yeah, just like I'm open. Um, I think for the neighborhood spots, I think weekends are going to be quieter. I think a lot of people want to travel. I think a lot of people want to get out there, and they're going to be out and about. Um, experiential dining, outdoor dining, bars, especially for younger people, like I think are going to be jamming. You know, us particularly. I think we'll we'll definitely hit a lull and slow down, which is fine. You know, like yeah, that's that's a fine thing. I think fall and winter again, like people will get back into more of their normal routines. But yeah, this summer I think is going to be a ton of domestic travel, a ton of people spending money, a ton of small events. Like yeah, if your events team isn't ready right now, or if you have a private room, like you should be marketing the hell out of that right now. Like well, they, they're all saying they can't get anybody to work. Everybody's saying they can't get anybody to work. Yeah. that is it's a problem man i mean and unfortunately it's the unintended consequences of like the expanded unemployment um you know and then just a lot of people realizing you know like maybe i was working really 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 hard and i was really underpaid for a lot of years in my restaurant and i don't want to go back to that i don't want to go back to to 50 hours a week you know making 14 bucks an hour and being 115 degree kitchen and it's hard work man kitchen work is 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 hard work um, and it takes a particular type of person. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's something to adjust to. I think restaurants, yeah. and it, they were going to adjust anyway, right? Like minimum wage has been going up. This conversation yep. has been had. Um, now there's going to be a labor shortage, which means the money's going to yeah. go up anyway. So yeah, I mean, I, if we were in Miami twice, um, 
South Florida twice, once in Miami. Um, if, if that's any indication, people are ready to be outside and they're ready to drink. Yep. And they're ready to be with each other. Like that is, was my big takeaway there. I mean, I know it's been very well publicized, but I don't see much of a difference from the East end of Long Island, the Jersey shore uh, in the summer to Miami. So I'm, and I'm thinking it's going to be, it's going to be the same people who were in Miami, basically probably. Right. right. You're you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I think it's going to be huge, man. I think it's going to be huge. People will be celebrating. They'll be happy. Um, Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, you know, and then definitely a K-shaped recovery. You know, there's a lot of people that, that had struggles, but there's also a lot of people who saved a lot of money and, you know, have a lot of disposable income because they haven't done anything for a year. So I think they want to be going out there. They want to be dined on. They want to be, be waited on. They want to have a special experience. They want to buy that bottle of wine that they probably wouldn't have purchased last year. You know, like that's what I would be trying to do is just make everything a great experience for people. Um, when they come in, that's like a huge, huge sign of like respect, right? They chose to make their first big night out or whatever it is, spend their with you at your place. So like treat them that way, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what, that's where the hospitality piece is going to come back in and people are going to want to be waited on. And you know what? I think they're going to be, they're going to be okay paying for it again. Like if Miami is any indicator, yeah. I think the Northeast here is, is in for, for a little bit, you know, uh, Martha's Vineyard, Cape Cod, all that stuff. And yeah. I know those guys have dealt with some harsh times, but if they're still around, I think they're they're in for for the roaring twenties, but minus, minus the depression. I hope. Yeah, totally <laughs> agree. Totally agree. <laughs> that whole part. Um, all right, so let everyone know where they can find you and um, place their orders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, website www.hellogtk.com. Our Instagram is also at hellogtk. Uh, any questions for me? I can be reached. Cheers at martinohospitality.com. And uh, to you, man. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Of course, man. I look forward to staying in touch and seeing uh, what this Hoboken spot looks like and fighting a good fight with the uh, third-party delivery guys. So, Absolutely, thank you for man. Your time, man. Cheers. Have a great All day. Right.